these hands, uh, these roots, and this is kind of what I call um, a, a gardening poem. It's also sort of a love poem. Uh, these hands, these roots. Go on, tell me. My hands look like yours. Nails clipped, filed, buffed, shined. They weren't always so. My hands were forged from gardening, working so deep in the soil, they could have been roots. Fingers splintered by wooden rakes and shovels. Some gardener whose face and name get lost like loose coins in my memory's back seat, told me women look at men's hands for half dark circles between their nails, which give away your blue collar status like a pair of torn jeans. This, no matter how handsome your face. I knew I had hope, but what about Lupe, whose mower chopped his fingertips instead of blades of grass? who then preserved them in an ice chest next to some plums. So I scrub, clip, and lotion my hands with aloe in fear of bachelorhood. I take pride in my hands now, but what about when the skin gathers at the knuckles and arthritis tangles my fingers for cracking my knuckles since I was 10, but until then, Hold my hand tightly with yours as my other hand wipes the sweat from my brow under the perspiration of work and love and the fact I know no other way to wrestle out a life for us. This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. This is Tony Diaz, a Libro Traficante, author of The Tip of the Pyramid, Cultivating Community Cultural Capital, and you're experiencing a multi-platform broadcast of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, and today's special guest is poet John Olivares Espinosa. John, first of all, your dear friend, I want to say hi to you. Thank you for coming to the radio show. Thank you for having me. Very appreciative. You, you pulled out all the stops for me. Thank oh, you. Of course, of course. And today we're celebrating your book, The Date Fruit Elegies. But we're also celebrating that you're an award-winning poet. You got a grant from the uh, San Antonio uh, Arts Department, and we'll talk more about that. And also, you will be featured at the Latino Bookstore as part of the Latino Bookstore's Texas Authors Series. And of course, folks know that that takes place every second Friday of the month during 2023, which means that you'll be spotlighting on Friday, October 13th, along with Norma Cantu. Mm -hmm. And we're very excited about that because you'll be there, do a book signing, do a reading. Folks can take a picture with you. But I want to tell folks that, hey, if you're tuning in right now, perhaps you're experiencing this on its first hit which takes place when we air on Facebook Live through live stream. And usually that will air first on the Nuestra Palabra Latino Writers Having to Say Facebook page. Or maybe you're viewing it on fox26houston.com, which airs some of our videos. Or perhaps you're listening to the version that Rodrigo Bravo will edit for audio, and it will air on one of our first platforms, 90.1 FM KPFT Houston's community station. And I always like to pause there and remind our listeners that we're here because of you and we can air high quality programming, poetry from our community by our poets talking about us in a profound way because we control these airwaves, but we can only do that with your help. So we hope that you can donate to Nuestra Palabra um, radio show 
donate to KPFT in the name of Nuestra Palabra. And you can go to kpft.org or you can dial 713-526-5738 and we can do our part to keep the station going. But of course, you might also be experiencing this in the podcast that's created. So you can tweet it, text it, share it with folks at community centers. So hopefully you're getting this to all the people because that's what this is about. And our effort is to get poetry to la gente. So on that note, we've asked John to, to dive in with some poems. And he's going to share yeah. pieces from his book, The Date Fruit Elegies, as well as new poems. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome poet John Olivares Espinosa. John, the mic is yours. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to start off with this poem from uh, The Date Fruit Elegies. It's called uh, Falling from the Tree of Heaven. And the little context uh, that may be helpful is that my dad uh, is a gardener. I mean, he's retired now and he would, uh, I have two other brothers, I'm in the middle and he would take us to work uh, with him. So we'd work with my dad uh, during the summers. Uh, so this is uh, one of the experiences um, that I went through. I must've been about 15, maybe 16. Um, uh, working with my dad uh, and my brothers. And there's one other worker in here. Um, this is called Falling from the Tree of Heaven. I lift my weight's worth of crushed oleander leaves in a can, climb the peak of the eight-foot ladder leaning aside the dump truck. I shake the crush out of the can like cereal out of its box. Pause, catch a breath of dry air again, Watch my brothers below, my two brothers slowly stacking branches on their shoulders. Father scales a ladder, ant-like, disappears into the tree. Menu stands spread on two branches above him, trimming away. The Olympus bows like locks of hair from a gardener's shears tumble to the ground. One knocks father down. He plummets, crashes, not on the piles of branches, but slams across a line, a brick wall knee high. I should run to him. I can't. We stare at him lying there, his body bent like the hedge clipper's handle. Those same clippers, just moments before he held in his hands up in the tree. Father lies stunned on the wall as his back bridges the walkway. Can you move? Feel your legs? Wiggle your toes? Questions learned from reading comic books when Batman's back snapped over an arch enemy's knee. We keep asking questions to keep from hearing the wrong answer because it's him, my father, the blue and black that is not Batman. Albert calls for Mr. Howard, the owner of the home who limps out with a metal cane, an oxygen tank holstered at the hip, tubes running through his nose. After a few minutes and half glasses of whiskey. Father sits up against the will of his lumbar, latissimus dorsi. His face shifts from red to white as if a tomato turned to an onion before us. Father gains back his blush as well as his thanks for his simple life and has us resume our work. He'll return in two days, leaving us wondering if his spine is an iron rod or if in heaven an angel's arm is sore from its catch. This next poem 
um, that I'll read in this first set is called uh, Economics at Gemco. And uh, I don't know how familiar uh, listeners from Texas know what a Gemco is, but it's, it's essentially like a, a, a retail box store like Target and Walmart, uh, now defunct. Uh, the interesting thing about this particular poem is that it was used for a um, kind of a, um, it's not a spelling bee, but it's like a, a poem recitation contest in Armenia for, um, in, and for children to um, get a better command of uh, the English language. So they have a poetry contest and this was one of the poems that they could have uh, used and memorized in that. Economics at Jemco. My mother pushes a grocery cart. I tug at her blue pleated skirt. She puts her change into my hands for the old soul slumped against the wall, his gray mouth covered by a beard of wind and dirt. I place the coins into his cupped hands and he stacks two neat columns of scents next to his seat on the curb. He nods his chin half solemnly. I turn back to mother. Suddenly, a cop, he came out of nowhere, tells me, take the money back. I brush the coins back into my palms like table crumbs as the old man, silent as those pennies, gets cuffed and hauled off to jail. I ask mom why? We only try to help. The cop says bums make 30 bucks a week begging for change and are not too unhappy when arrested since they get food, shelter, a hot shower for at least a week. My mother pushes the grocery cart without a word, knowing that as newlyweds, she begged outside markets for change while dad stole bread and sliced honey ham inside. Fantastic. If you are just tuning in, you're listening to Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, and we are celebrating the poetry of John Olivares Espinosa. He just kicked us off with three poems from his collection, The Date Fruit Elegies, and he'll also be featured in the Texas Author Series. I'm proud to be the literary curator for the Latino Bookstore at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center. Should give a shout out to the director of the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center, Christina Bailly. And every mm-hmm. second Friday of the month, you can expect a great show there. You can expect fantastic books to be in stock. But I love that you will be joining us in person. And I think some folks know exactly what to experience at a reading. Some do not. They may be intimidated. They may not be sure what it's mm-hmm. like. You can hear John perform these in person, ask some questions, get some pictures. More importantly, I think it's wonderful that people will be able to build their family library with your book, have it signed. And one thing I tell people too is this isn't a transaction where you're spending some money and getting a product. This is more about telling people, look, I met John. We chatted about this. Uh, I got to talk to Tony there. I got to talk to Christina there. And folks will always have a story. So really you're bringing that story back back to you. So I'm so glad that people can kind of get a preview. It is different to, to, to get it in person, but I do also want to take this chance to talk about uh, the poems because you really have this powerful eye to capture hard concrete details. And I think it makes the poem really relatable but you're hitting so many different other levels of meaning and there's how much of that was a story in your life because it's concrete. We can at least know, Hey, yes, I know what that thing is, but then also plays on words and then the form as well. So um, 
Jeff, first of all, thank you for sharing that. Fantastic. Uh, is that how You're you want to pick those images? I mean, are you looking purposefully for words that do all that? Or is it more that the concrete image lends itself to that? And, and once you find it, it, it sort of reveals the rest. I think it's a little both. I, I think, um, you know, I, I work from memory. So I, I think about what what was there, you know, what, what do I remember? What are the details that I remember that I think, you know, writers should, should go. And then um, as I pick and choose, I think there's a bit of, um, I mean, I shouldn't say a bit, but there's just a lot of intuition as to mm -hmm. how those um, images that are in my memory that are concrete, actual images that happen, you know, which ones work best as, as symbols and, and emblems. And so I really have to use this, um, this intuition as a poet to know which ones work and which ones aren't working. Just because it, it happened, just because it was a detail that I, I remember, doesn't mean it has to be in the poem, right? And then there's some, some things that, uh, I mean, you, you know, poetry is, is um, fiction, right? I mean, it can be based on your life, but it's really categorizes as fiction. That's why you kind of hear this idea of like taking poetic license. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the poetic licenses in, in the poem falling from the tree of heaven, for example, is choosing the trees. Like I'm, I'm really bad bad with trees. I mean, I, my dad's wonderful with, with the names of trees and, and whatnot, but um, like um, the, the name that I chose for the tree is Elanthus. And the Elanthus, the, the meaning of the word Elanthus is tree of heaven. And so I, I ended up using that. I don't know if this tree is the tree of heaven. I did some research and it was it looks like the tree that <laughs> my dad fell from, which was an actual event. But um, I don't know for sure, but it, it lends itself perfectly from, from, uh, for, the, for the poem. Because yeah, you know, my, my, my father, as, as it happened in the poem, he was climbing, I mean, he's, he's cutting branches on a tree and there's a, he has his worker who's above him and he's climbing too. And one thing we didn't think about is the branches that were falling and he, and he fell. And so this, this tree was high, I mean, it was very high and I'm not even sure how, how, how high my dad fell. It was not a short mm. fall, it was a, a long fall. And, and when my dad fell, you know, I mean, you could imagine the first things came to my mind, but I thought one of the first thoughts was like, oh my God, my dad is not paralyzed. Like the way he felt, like that's, he's done for, like mm -hmm. he, he's paralyzed, that must have shattered his, his spine. And, and it didn't. You know, it didn't shatter his spine. I mean, he was he was messed up, but he was able to get up. You know, his his face went white, um, and and uh, he had to take a little time off work, but he was back to work like in two wow. or three days. Right. And so, me, it's like how how could a, an angel not have caught him? I mean, I wish something had caught him literally because he took a bad fall. But for me, it's like how could how was there not divine intervention? And so, when I when I was researching trees, and I came upon a tree that was. The, you know, Elanthus, meaning the tree of heaven. I'm like, that's perfect. How old were you when that happened? I was about 15 or 16 because I referenced Batman. I referenced Batman and the storyline of Nightfall, which was later used in <laughs> um, the, the Dark Knight Rises in 2000. Right. The Dark Knight Rises. So I was ahead of the time. There. So, but yeah, I was about 15. You mentioned poetry is fiction. And it's fascinating to me too, because of course I'm a prose writer. Um, I used to write fiction, I write nonfiction, but you're using a lot of the same elements in that in these particular poems, you are telling a story. So there's the narrative. Yeah. As you mentioned too, you're picking which detail winds up in that universe, but lends itself to, to different meanings. Uh, yeah, e even, even the title, Falling from the Tree of Heaven, there's the Tree of Life, right? Trees have mm -hmm. this uh, you know, universal, iconic meaning in so many ways so many cultures yeah. but you're basically talking about a humble uh working class family and a young person experiencing what could be a tragedy if your father is debilitated that day um are you going to eat anymore will you have health care and, and i mean it ties in the modern day where you know i could drive down houston right now and there's any number of construction workers mexicanos right um who are being vilified, but who are building this whole state. And I see them, I see some of them walking on one piece of wood. And I'm thinking, I hope I don't witness a tragedy. And, oh, you know, the wow. whole family yeah. will be 
um, you know, torn apart from it. So, so I imagine at the time it was traumatizing, but it was amazing. If you father, your father stand, um, how much of this was cathartic? How much did you forget that at the time and just keep working? Or is this something you've always wrestled with? And I love that you have, you know, the imagery of an angel saving and, and, and all these concrete turns, but, but also underneath it is the tragedy and trauma involved. It is something that I always remembered and it was, I know, and I'll never forget it. And now that it's immortalized in a poem, I mean, I, I don't think I'll, I'll ever forget that because it was, see, um, gardening can be, it has its hazards, right? And I think when my dad was, is a gardener, well, I'm lucky, we are lucky that a lot of things did not happen, but things did happen. So my dad, for example, will uh, trim hedges with a, you know, like a, it's a hedge trimmer, right? It's not like a chainsaw, but it works. Some of chainsaw. And, and that thing will catch his hand and he'll have like these deep, gashes because the, the hedge trimmer caught his hand or your your hand gets caught in a, in a thorn of a rose bush and in uh, the poem that I just read these hands these roots you know something that truly mm -hmm. happened is that uh, one of our um, it wasn't our gardener it was it was another company but we knew the guys because most gardeners are friends mm -hmm. with each other if you're working in the same kind of neighborhood or condominium in our in our case and he's pushing the, the lawnmower and he's and he's cutting uh, wet grass and the wet grass is clumping up, clumping up and, it, and it stopped his blade. And so his reaction is like, well, let me undo the, 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 the grass to get the, uh, the blade going. But you, but you don't really think that the blade is stuck and it's still on. So he was undoing the grass and, and the blade just once it got uh, unstuck, it just oh, twirled and it cut off his fingers. It cut off the tips of his fingers. And literally his, his uh, crew picked up his fingertips and, and put them in an ice chest so they can get sewed on later. And so there was all the, always this, these work hazards that I'm glad so much did not happen to us. So, so for my dad to have fallen from a tree, not even like, you know, again, a small fall, a small spill, it was, you just watched that body fall. I mean, that, that was very scary. And that's something that I'm, I'm never forget. I'll never forget because I think, to my knowledge, that's probably the worst thing that happened to my dad. And and I want to say I was uh, the other week I was talking to a group of, of uh, ninth graders and I told them that I was uh, a gardener and, and my dad took them to work. Started taking me to work when I was their age, ninth grade. The summer before ninth grade, I was fourteen, and nobody knew I was a gardener because I was embarrassed to tell my friends. But I only only one person knew I was a gardener or I worked as with my dad as gardener because, well, he was my neighbor or he lived in the neighborhood and he was also a gardener. His dad was a gardener and he worked with his dad and his dad fell from a ladder. And I'm not sure how tall the ladder was, but I don't think it was that tall. He fell and he was disabled and couldn't work. Wow. You know, and uh, so my my dad was like just really dodged dodged spinal injury you know because my friend's dad did it and we're going to get to some more of your poems not just from your book but also new ones. So I want folks to know that I am going to resist talking about um, each of the poems as much as I want to, because I'll get to hang out with you at the Texas author series, October 13th. Uh, you'll also be reading with Norma Cantu, who'll be reading from Chicana Portraits. I do want to mention to folks though, that you are an award-winning writer so that you here you are using the highest level of poetry to tell stories from our communities in powerful ways that still resonate. Powerful way to, could make our legacy, but also for our own community with trauma. Uh, would you kindly mention the award that you received? Yeah, I, I am lucky enough, fortunate enough to be a 2023 City of San Antonio project art or project grants or be a recipient of a project grants for individual artists. Um, I guess uh, uh, an artist grantee. So um, yeah, it's, it's um, prize money 
or, or a grant, right? Award money to um, help artists. It's not just writers or poets, it's uh, artists of all, all types of uh, uh, medias, but um, to finish a project. And so um, Date Fruit Elegies uh, came out a, a while back, but um, you know, it's different being a writer when you're at an MFA program and you have minimal responsibilities than you know, when you go out and you, get, you have to work and teach and, and uh, make a living. Mm -hmm. And so it's taken me a long time to get to that second book. And so my grant proposal was to finish this book. I was about two thirds of the way and, and um, you know, I needed some time to do it. And luckily I, I, I received the grant and it has been a huge push, a huge motivation to finish uh, this, this book, to finish this, this manuscript. And, and I am just so grateful to, to get that. Otherwise I'd, I'd still be, you know, writing it well into my, my eighties <laughs> possibly. So, I mean, those, those grants just make a huge difference uh, to, to artists. And, and I did want to mention that because it's great to see your trajectory, because you mentioned your father was a gardener. You were, you were gardening as well at such a young age. Um, but I love that you're chronicling those stories now and getting grants based on that. And, and you mentioned too, navigating, feeling uh, embarrassed or ashamed about it, but now to the point where you're proud and make us all proud. And it ties into to that, to the last line of um, these hands, these roots from the, um, from the collection, uh, wrestle out a life. Um, before we go on to the next poem, tell us a little more about that line. Cause it did resonate with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, at, at the time that I wrote the line, it just, it, it just felt, felt right. But you know, it's, it's, you know, looking back now, I was very young when I wrote that poem and, and the other poems, uh, very young. Um, I was probably 21. And um, I think looking back now, 20 plus years later it's it's about la lucha it's it's just mm -hmm. about w working hard and 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 striving and uh having a work ethic and that's what garden that one of the first lessons i learned about being a gardener with my dad is having a work ethic you know putting mm -hmm. in your best putting in that all you got and knowing that you're going to work twice as harder as as everybody else and it, it was uh, that line to me was was sort of this um, what do you call it like a, a vow a promise to to my you know future wife that uh, I will work as hard as I can but I'm also a poet and 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 life is going to be <laughs> life is going to be be a struggle as that you know I'm not making you know lawyer money doctor money you know that it's it is going to be you know I. It's like I can promise you one thing that I'll 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 work my hardest, and I, I hope I've kept that promise. I don't know. That's fantastic, folks. You are listening to Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. We're listening to the poetry of John Olivares Espinosa, and the only reason we can broadcast high caliber poetry like excerpts from the Date Fruit Elegies is because we're in charge of programming here. So we'd love for you to pitch in. So if you can, please donate to KPFT in the name of Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Having Your Say, by visiting kpft.org or calling 713-526-5738. Why? Because we're about to air at 100,000 watts in the fourth largest city in America and through podcasts available all over some more poems. So uh, we're going to hand the microphone back over to John Olivares Espinosa as he treats us to some more works. John, hey, the mic is yours. Awesome. So um, I'm going to read one last poem from uh, uh, this collection. And uh, this uh, poem seems to have uh, also... Um, uh, gotten some legs recently, uh, has taken off a, a, a bit. Um, and, and it's the last poem that, that I wrote for this collection. 
and it's called Spanglish as Experienced by a Native Speaker. And I wrote this poem, it's a prose poem, and I wrote this poem in response to uh, Adam Sandler's uh, vehicle called uh, Spanglish. Um, uh, who, James L. Brooks, did he direct that? And so when, when, I, when this movie called Spanglish came out with Adam Sandler of all, of all people, you know, I just thought that, no, that's, that's not Spanglish. Like it's, you know, it's, it's Hollywood appropriating, you know, something else uh, from us. So I, I, I wrote this poem to you kind of take that back. So this is called Spanglish as experienced by a native speaker. A George Washington quarter was a guara. Two guaras bought us una soda from the vending machine. We asked Abuelito for a cuora to play the video game console. No, he said, una peseta. No, una cuora. Una peseta para la máquina. He called the console a machine, like the machine, máquina, that dropped a cuora for every six cans mother put in. La máquina is what father had us buchar across yardas on the weekend. At work, we ate lonche. At school, we ate lunch. At home, we ate both. Geiki was served on birthdays. It was bien gacho to have your birthday skipped again. Skipiad was done to the unsolvable math problem, which was never attempted again. Half our time was spent on homework. The other half was spent watchando TV. Watcha signaled you were about to do something impressive, but foolish, like a bike stunt. Watchale is what your friends tell you when you nearly plow into them with your bike. A bike is a bica. Uncle Jesse peddled a bica to the grocery store to buy leche y cornflakes. Leche, not tortillas, were heated in the microwave. Un way is a dude. Uncle Beto called more than two people una bola de weyes. I secretly listened to the Beastie Boys and Uncle Beto's troca because I could turn it up full blast. Uncle Jesse pedals back from Queimar with two new plaid shirts. Dad's returning from his trip to the Dompe, where he left last week's garbage. Mother's fixing spam sandwiches. Abuelito pulls from his pocket a peseta, but hands me that was the last um, poem I wrote for for the manuscript that would be that first um, book. So I, I want to use that to transition into um, new work. And uh, the uh, new work that I want to read is called uh, English as a Second Language. And uh, I'm holding here, for those of you who are tuning into the video broadcast, uh, is, a, is a broadside of this poem. And uh, I'm giving away this poem free, uh, or this broadside free, no charge if you uh, make it to my reading or any uh, readings. So uh, hopefully you'll buy the book, but if uh, you can't buy the book or you already have the book, uh, please pick up a, a broadside for me and I'd be more than happy to sign it for you. So this is a, a new work. It is called English as a Second Language. And uh, I guess just to give some context, this is about my grandfather who was a bracero. And this is me exploring the idea of why my grandfather spent, you know, decades in the United States and um, why he never bothered to learn English. 
English as a second language. During my grandfather's sleep, a brujo whispers into his ear to fasten English to the tongue, rinse your mouth with black coffee poured inside a gold chalice. Rattle of clay pots fishes grandfather from the dream pond, not the fault lines jostle nor aftershock. Emboldened, he rushes to the white man's market, hungered, barefooted for a cut of beef. Twigs, pebbles, and glass tacked to his soles like a sandal. He arrives to the meat counter. A carnicero flays strips of shoulder from a block of lamb. The butcher's apron smeared with vermilion petals. Here, only the tripas whisper the pig farmer's Spanish. The scent of dried salted shrimp quivers the lining of his stomach. He struggles to muster his immigrant's lexicon of malapropisms. Execute me, sir. His voice received as crackles of static. On this day in 1958, grandfather operates a tractor in the arid desolation of farmland. The oxen of wheels kick up dust participles into the atmosphere. Also, the sun slow roasts his arms. Brown, the color of tender flesh kissed by gnats. Dusk, a cliff swallow tows a bow of lilacs across the horizon. Hunger, like English, like Mexico, is a honeycomb the bees have abandoned. In an anthology of unsettling dreams, the sun is worn on grandfather's brazos like sleeves. Out there, dusk will carol for him in Spanish. Song of the sparrow, song of the cliff swallow. of John Olivares Espinosa. He's actually reading some new works and he'll be sharing those as well as he headlines at the Latino Bookstore's Texas Author Series at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center in San Antonio. And thank you so much for offering to give broadsides of English as a yeah. second language, um, which is fantastic. I hope folks will take him up on that. That's a, an amazing addition to your family library, uh, or maybe you go and pick up some books to donate to the underground libraries. There's one there in San Antonio, another one in Houston. Um, but that's a big treat. Also want to remind folks that on 90.1 FM KPFT, you're experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, multi-platform broadcasts. You can make sure we stay on the air by donating to kpft.org or calling 713 Five two six five seven three eight. I do want to talk about how you are generous with your skills and help other poets, including some major figures. Okay, we're going to bring up Santa Cisneros in just a moment. Um, so much to talk about the poems. One thing I want people to appreciate is the irony of someone who's Mexican American taking the English language, playing with it, improving it, and giving it back to us. So even the title. Um, that's a brilliant title because we already are said, oh, it's second language. And then the play on words with language is just heartbreaking and so clever. But then also it goes back to, it could be someone's broken English. Uh, and then the whole idea of, of language as well. And the whole, the, the pieces you shared from your new work play with language at so many levels. Um, and you know, like you said, it was a great transition from um, 
from the the collection because in that last poem as well you're playing with with uh, with Spanglish and there's that last there's that last moment that last line where you know your your grandfather has the peseta and has a quarter and even as you say that so really <laughs> wonderful ways to play with that um, here I had focused on the hard concrete images but now you're taking it also to playing with code switching and language um, fun hard work or have you just been saving these up for decades oh right well you know it's it's funny because with uh spanglish uh as experienced by a native speaker uh again that was the last poem i wrote for that manuscript and i was about 25 so i i you know essentially at least had written an mfa thesis right so i was a little bit more experienced in, in that sense but I was still revising it as I was sending the, the, the thesis slash manuscript out to contest and, you know, getting kind of placed in, as finalist, but, you know, kind of like always a bridesmaid. And uh, so I was always trying to improve on it. And, you know, I, I wrote this poem. But by that time, I think I had um, more experienced, more experience as a, as a poet and a better understanding with uh, the play with, with language. And so with, with me, the, the, the peseta and the quota was sort of a, a, a perfect metaphor of this transition of language change between uh, two generations. And in fact, it skips a generation because my, my mother would be the second generation, but it's, it's this transition of like um, um, old school, quote unquote, pure Spanish, and it's transitioning into mm. Spanglish, you know, from a... Um, I guess Gen X uh, generation in America. So I, I kind of uh, liked that idea, right? And I was able to use. I mean, that to me is poetry. That is is the use of language and the play of language and mm -hmm. and fresh phrasing, the turn of the phrase. But by the time I wrote English as a second language, as you're talking about it, how am I using images and stacking them up? Like, yeah, like I these new poems take me a long time to write because the, the, the like the the words have to be perfect the 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 lines have to be perfect the order has to be be perfect I mean that's what I achieved they're probably not perfect to your ear but I spend a lot of time you know getting that poem down uh that's a poem that I think I I wrote um when I first moved here to San Antonio in 2018. And um, I worked on it for, I mean, for a few years, you wow. know, uh, many, many, many drafts, many drafts. The intensity of fact, language mine, that, that shows that yeah. it took that amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is um, you know, I work with, I, I work with memory and uh, I don't work with present day stuff too much at least. Mm. Um, and I, I just want to come up with a memorable image that you're going to walk away remembering the poem. You know, I, I want, I want to achieve poems that people remember. I don't know whether I'm, I achieve it or not. It's something else. On that note, I do also want to let folks know that you're very generous with those skills. Do me a favor, mention some of the folks who call you a poetry coach. And I, I want you to say some of the names. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, I mean, it's pro it's probably a short list, but um, the my the first person to whom I'm a poetry coach is is Sandra Cisneros, That's awesome. uh, whom I've I've known for about half my life uh, now. Hello, this is Sandra Cisneros, and I'm just uh, checking in on you all to give you a tip about a very wonderful person, and that is my friend John Olivares Espinosa, and he's a great poet. You're very lucky to have him. Uh, when a writer writes, she needs to have a writer she trusts to be her editor. So he's my personal editor. He's what I call my poetry coach. He's a wonderful poet, but better than that, he's just a nice human being. It's hard to find nice human beings. So I extend my welcome to John Olivares Espinosa to you and just want to send my uh, saludos and my love to John who has made me a better writer.
from there, I, I think um, I'll mention um, uh, Jen Yanez Alanis. Wonderful collection, yes. and she did allude to to your to your help. So that's fantastic to see yes. that continue. So I've I've worked with her uh, and uh, uh, another poet named uh, Violeta Garza. I worked with her, but uh, this these are uh, quote unquote ventures that that have started uh, just recently. But um, and and uh, currently, I'm looking at poems of another poet named uh, Annie Snyder from San Antonio. But um, I think Sandra was is my, my first uh, inadvertent, um, you know, uh, a friend whom I've I worked with for for a long time, for a long time now, and which was the result of this book. Um, Woman Without Shame, which just came out last year in 2022, mm -hmm. but the paperback has just been released. That's awesome. I should mention that uh, Sandra's wonderful. Of course, we're happy to smuggle her books back into Arizona when Hassan Language Street was banned, and she is coming to Houston, Texas, to do a special run fundraiser for Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on October 15th. Ooh. People can go to nuestrapalabra.org to get ticket information and more. But she'll be reading, of course, from the book you just mentioned, uh, and of course, you and I are related to Makondo anyway, which, which is yes. the group that she mentioned. Uh, and I think it's very wonderful that you work with other poets because I want people to understand that that means that you're taking time away from your own craft, um, from just, you know, also the jobs you may or may not have in your family, your family man, and just resting. So I hope people understand that you are then shifting your time and energy to the work of others. And I do want to say this about you too, John. I really appreciate that you celebrate the work of others. Uh, you come to the Latino bookstore and support other writers, even when it's not your night. <laughs> and that means a lot. So um, that, that is a, a huge contribution that you're making. You know, the, the writers you're bringing in with, they're just wonderful writers. I mean, and, and it's, it's a new generation of, of writers and, and each I mean, it, it's funny because people might want to clump Latino literature in just one big kind of stereotypical archetypical bag, but it's it's not. It's just such varied stories. I mean, yes, is of the Latino experience, um, yeah, absolutely, but it's just different voices. And you know, I I also want to plug in for any young you know writers out there, you know, to catch these readings, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, if you can't afford it, buy buy the books. Because if you do this long enough, it's one thing that no one told me is that when you do this long enough, it's amazing to see a writer's library grow. Mm. You know, like a lot of these writers I, I, I knew, like uh, um, Reina Grande does a lot of visits to, mm. to uh, Texas. And I knew Reina before her first book came out. And when I ran my own reading series at the National Hispanic University in San Jose, I had invited her when when uh, uh, Across the Hundred Mountains came out. And now you just see this like library mm -hmm. bibliography. And it's and it's it's pretty cool when you buy that book every few years, the next thing you know, you you have all her all her books, you know, from her or bra from from all these years because you don't really think about 20 years later, you know. Mm -hmm. So really encourage people to go to these readings and, and if you can't afford them, buy the book. I appreciate you bringing that up. That's a great way to to think about it. And we had we had teased folks with more poems, but I tell you what, we're going to make them wait so they can uh, share this podcast, yeah. share this broadcast. If if you're tuning in after we've held the readings, don't be upset. Be happy that you've stumbled upon the radio show that you got to hear hear John read some of the works, and perhaps maybe you heard it in time to attend the Texas Author Series at the Latino Bookstore, where on the second Friday of October, Friday, October 13th, John will be reading from his book, The Date Fruit Elegies, and some new works as well, as well as giving away some broadsides, yes. from, uh, which include uh, English as a second language. Uh, any parting words, John? Yeah, Tony, I have a very, very short poem. If you cough, you'll miss it. My reading is on Friday the 13th. And so I have to read some horror poems. This is called, um, this is from the new collection. It's uh, titled Direct to Video. 
Prime Meridian of the Living Dead. And this is an homage to those uh, knockoff horror movies that just went straight to video. Prime Meridian of the Living Dead. Pass me the tendons if you're not going to eat them. I didn't expect flesh to taste close to corn. The end. I love it. Thank you so much, Chad, for getting that in zombie poem. I love it. And perfect for October. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you've been tuning into Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. We've been celebrating the poetry of John Olivares Espinosa, reading from the Date Fruit Elegies. Thank you so much for joining us, John. I look forward to seeing you at the Latino Bookstore. Thank you for having me on, Tony. You've, you've been more than generous to me, more than you have to. I appreciate, oh. appreciate it. And Rodrigo and, and Roxana, thank you pleasure and I, I gotta shout them out as well thank you so much to our crew Roxana Guzman who produces our multi-platform broadcast Rodrigo Bravo Jr. who is our sound engineer and helps in so many other ways for Nuestra Palabra and of course want to thank you dear viewers and listeners for supporting the station and if you can keep supporting the station we encourage you to go to kpft.org Call 713-526-5738 and make a donation in the name of Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Heaven or Say, to KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston's Community Station, so we can always broadcast great literature and poetry. I'm Tony Diaz, the Libro Traficante, and looking forward to seeing you behind the book. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. <laughs> Porque nada de eso te puede elevar, porque nada de eso te puede elevar.